Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, we equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm still Tim. And I'm Marshall. How you feeling, Marshall? Good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm doing good. The drive into work today was just a beautiful day for a country drive. Mm-hmm. Just really nice. Yeah. Although, I-, I mentioned to you the whole fiasco about overinflating my tires. Right. And I thought that was the issue with the swaying. Oh, no. It's not. <laughs> It's not. So anyways, so that's, you know, that's weighing a little heavily on me right now, but hopefully, hopefully it won't be anything too, too expensive. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Frankenstein vehicle. It's pushing 20 years old now. (laughs) It still runs great. It's just, you know. Sounds like it. You know how things go. (laughs) You know how things go. Yeah. Well, I'm here after two consecutive 15 hour days of work. How's that for fun? You know what, man? I think there was this like really smart guy who had some things to say about taking rest. I can't remember exactly who On the was. Sabbath. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll take a nap when that day comes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Today's a fun day. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Podcasting is always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today... We're going to nerd out a little bit on modern Bible translations, Mm -hmm. because we've been talking about the Bible, how the book came to be, what what it constitutes, whether or not we can can trust it. And then the question just comes down to, can we trust our modern translations? And what we mean by that is our modern English translations, Mm -hmm. because that's just the way we roll, right? We don't tend to think about other languages, especially KJV onlyers. Right. Who, <laughs> who failed to ask the question, do the Portuguese have God's word? If they if they want it, they better learn English and it better be the King James English. Right, right. Oh. It better be authorized. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're just going to talk about Bible translation mm-hmm. as a practice. Yep. And we're going to talk about why when you go, hold on. We'll have to fix that. Why you when you go back in time to Christian bookstores, <laughs> right. right? So you hop in your little time machine, mm. you go back and you go into the Christian bookstore because that's what you'd do if you had a time machine. You'd be like, right. If I could go back in time and do anything, I'd visit a Bible store, right? Or or if you're listening from the states, you know my family, they they still have them. They still have them, right? Uh, you go in and there's so many translations. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are there so many? Why are they different? Are they different? Mm. Which one do I choose? Yeah. No, those are all... And why is it the ESV? (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, before we get deep into the modern translation, this is going to be a bit of a recap and review of a few different things we talked about at a few different phases in our church history podcast, but worth mentioning. Mm Mm-hmm that the Bible was originally written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and just a little bit of Aramaic uh, in the Old Testament, and then like some phrases of Aramaic in the New Testament. But that's essentially, those are the original languages. Now, early on in church history, the, the Bible had been translated into certain other languages. One of the important ones historically was Syriac, which uh, the Eastern churches, like we're talking the churches that 
you know, remained under Muslim oppression in the Middle East and Central Asia would use. The most famous early translation of the Bible was done by a guy named Jerome in the 4th century because he translated the Bible into Latin. Mm-hmm. It was called the Vulgate. Mm. And it essentially kind of became the dominant version used in Western Europe for the next thousand years. Because it's the language of the people. <laughs> it was when it was when he right. wrote it. That's that's where the word vulgar comes from. Yeah. Vulgate, common, common. Right? The common language. It's a common thing. Yeah. It Latin ceased to be the common language right? after the fall of the Roman Empire. But at that point, we've been doing this for years. Yeah. Why do you need to change it? Exactly. Yeah, sounds like some other folks that we're going to talk about later. So the translation of, of the Bible into common languages was, uh, it was often highly discouraged, eventually prohibited by the Roman Catholic Church. There's fragments of early English and German translations, you know, from the 8th and 9th centuries. They weren't really circulated. They were more kind of these private projects that these mm-hmm. monks and these monasteries would do. Uh, the King Alfred the Great um, if you don't know who Alfred the Great is, as I say this as a history nerd, he's he's just the coolest. I love Alfred the Great. And uh, there was a recent Netflix series that kind of did him dirty, but whatever. Um, but around the year 900, he translated a number of passages into English. Because he could, because he was the king, essentially. Sure. You're right? Yeah. But by the 12th and 13th centuries, the papacy was actively seeking to destroy all translations other than Latin. Here's why. Right now, right now, I'm absolutely nerding out on the Ukrainian-Russian war. Okay. You know this because you're trying not to get pulled in, and I grab you on the shirt sleeve and pull every day. <laughs> um, but one of the things, one of the things that regimes have to do if they want to hold absolute power mm. is control the conversation, Right? China restricts everything, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at one point, Google had this awesome thing where you could go onto a Google website and see which of their products were being blocked currently in China. Um, <laughs> China hated it and told them to stop. They said, this is a travel service for our customers. <laughs> uh, Russia's doing the same thing, right? Sure. Only internal social medias, those kinds of things. Um, and the church was doing the same thing. The reason we have uprisings is because people can read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so they read it and they say, hold on a second. What you're telling me doesn't sound like the word of God. Right. Because I read it and that's not what it says. Yeah. And so they're like, no, 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 we're just going to, we're just going to make sure that nobody can read it. Yeah. Like their reasoning was that it bred heresy and that, just wait. Oh, okay. What are you going to say? Heresy because the traditions of the church are counted equal to the word right, of God. Right, right. And so not heresy against scripture, heresy mm. against the teachings of the church. Sure, sure. There In were, other words... There were actual heretics. There were actual heretical, like what we would call heretics. Sure. Who did use contemporary, like, you know, common language translations to to garner support. So there, so because I did, I did my, I did my research, Tim. The church themselves I know, I know, I dude, I know. I know, <laughs> but we're talking about people like denying the Trinity and stuff. Like, right. I'm, I'm just saying that when you come at it and you say, disagreeing with me is heresy. Mm-hmm. And when people read the Bible, they disagree with me. So let's guard <laughs> against heresy 
for the purity of the faith. No, I know, I know. That's that's I know. solving the problem I, you created. I, I I I am aware. No, trust me, I'm definitely staunchly on the Protestant side of this question. I'm just saying that there, you know, as as I was studying the history of it, there were there were also some pretty wonky groups that mm-hmm. would be further from what we believe than even the Roman Catholic Church. There always will be. Um, but there were others, right? Like guys like Jan Hus in Bohemia, who was a precursor to the Protestant Reformation. And, and it was very much like, we need we need to make people aware what the Bible actually says. Mm-hmm. And once they do, they'll realize the, the abuses that are going on. Um, the first famous English translator was John Wycliffe, who made a translation into Middle English. So not as foreign as Old English, but not really recognizable to our modern eyes today. Chaucer. Yeah, that exactly. period. Not yeah. not the Chaucer you read in school if you read Chaucer in school. I never did. Because that would also be a modernized version. Right, right. That era. But he translated from the Latin Vulgate. So that mm-hmm. was the thing with his. So his was a translation of a translation, which is right. one of the things that um, a lot of critics who don't understand how we have modern I translations know. will accuse. Um, That's why we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. So his actually was a translation of a translation. Um now, regardless of that fact, um, he ended up dying for his work. Um, so it was banned. They had, you know, church synods and, and, and banned his work. Mm-hmm. If we fast forward 100 years, we get to William Tyndale, who translated large sections of the original languages of Greek and Hebrew. And he wasn't actually able to complete the work totally because before he was done, he was betrayed, arrested, and executed. Once again, just, you know, you can tell how much the Roman Catholic Church at the time really didn't want people reading these things. Um, there'd be others who would continue his work. We have the Cloverdale Bible, the Bishop's Bible. Finally, once the Reformation kind of has really taken hold in England, we get the King James Bible of 1611. And mm-hmm. <sighs> here's the thing we got to... because. It's very easy for us to rag on the King James, and we probably will before this episode is through. But before we do that, we need to recognize that it was a significant effort by a group of a lot of scholars who translated from the original languages. They might have cheated with the Vulgate here and there, but but they, they used the best manuscripts available to them at the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? And while I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for modern readers today— the English-speaking world should be grateful for the King James Version. It was an m- absolute masterwork of its time, unparalleled mm-hmm. for its time, and it held up as the best English translation for hundreds of years. Yeah. In, in fact, I I saw that you had a, a Bible here with you, and I thought, I'm going to bring a stack of Bibles. And I thought, this isn't show and tell, this is radio. Right. What People use is it? Yeah. I still have the very first Bible my parents ever gave me. Okay. And it's a King James version. Interesting. And I love that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I still look at the pictures more than I read the text. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like maybe forty years worth of that, um, because when I'm because the pages are coming apart, and so I when I read in KGV, I read a different one. Uh, I don't dislike the King James version mm-hmm. when we talk about how it was translated. Actually, I'll just do it here. One thing that that they did brilliantly. And, and others do this to a, a degree, but not as well as it was done in 1611. They translate it. This is the technical meaning of everything that's here. And then one person goes to the other end of the room. Everyone closes everything. 
just sits and listens. Mm. Does it sound beautiful? Mm. And if the answer is no, we're going to rewrite it in a faithful way that sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And their point was to say there is an aesthetic beauty mm-hmm. that the Word of God deserves. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't dislike the King James version. Mm-hmm. Well, and in their context too, the majority of the people in England would have only been able to hear it, mm-hmm. would not have been able to read it. Right. That's, right. That's the other thing, right? Like, so keeping it's, that in mind that it's yeah. something that, you know, 10% of the population are going to actually be able to read. It needs to be euphonious. Mm. Right. Oh, that's a great word. Beautiful too. to the ear. Great word. So we had in the 1611 this authorized version, but now we have dozens mm-hmm. of English translations available to us today. Can we define authorized version? Because okay, because yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. As much as we're going to appreciate and love on the King James Version mm-hmm. and the King James Translators, the King James following of today, there's a subgroup of them. Yeah that are always writing emails mm-hmm. to pastors, mm-hmm. mailing pamphlets and flyers, talking about my cooperation with the Antichrist and <laughs> all of these things because I don't preach from the ESV. Or the, no, the KJV. Or the KJV, yeah, sorry. Commenting on YouTube needing to be deleted, those mm-hmm. kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, authorized doesn't mean by God. It means the king wanted a new translation. He had a bit of a political agenda inside of his translation mm-hmm. and an anti-Catholic agenda mm-hmm. in the translation. So, where there's an opportunity to use the word kingdom, we want to use kingdom as often as possible so that the fact that I'm a king just seems natural within the biblical text. They don't stretch anything. They don't change anything. Mm-hmm. But when there are options to talk about a land as a nation or a kingdom, mm-hmm. he requested that they would go with kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it was all read back to him, and he said, I approve this work mm-hmm. according to the standards that I set forth. Right. Authorized by the king. Yeah. Who was the head of the Anglican church? Not Who, the king of kings. Yeah. No, and and the ironic thing is that I think the many, I don't know if it would be the majority, but probably of the people who hold to this King James-only tradition would be Baptists. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the Anglican Church didn't like Baptists. Nope. They weren't big fans. So it's interesting that that they hold so tightly to an authorized version that was authorized by an institutional church, which they stand in opposition to as Baptists. And not, not only that, but that that institutional church hunted the early mm-hmm. Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> just like, guys, <laughs> just, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, an, odd, it's an odd marriage. There. Yeah, and, and, and most of them not using the 1611 authorized. No, because it's been because updated. it also was updated. It has been Just updated. like the rest of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are... Are we just going to camp out and talk about the KJV for a second now? 
Is that what we're doing? Or, um, or do you have some more history you want to do before? No, that's that's hi- that's history. Yeah, we can talk about the KGV. I want to talk about theories of translation, but we can talk okay, about we, that. Let's, okay, we can do theories of translation because it is a formal equivalency. Yeah. And should we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing when it comes to translation, right? And, and you might be asking, okay, why are why are so many of our English translations quite different sometimes yeah. in how they yeah. how they choose to translate mm-hmm. a particular verse or whatever. Not different in substance. Well, sometimes they are. <laughs> different. <laughs> different, yeah, different in... in different in form. In, yeah, form and flavor or however yeah. you want to... Yeah. So there's there's two kind of big um, philosophies of translation, mm-hmm. right? So the first one is one you just mentioned, the formal equivalence. It is... Um, what we might call like a more literal translation, a more of a word for word. Right. Although no English translation is ever going to actually be a word for word translation because our language is yeah. so different. Young's, but it's basically unreadable. N- yeah. Or, no, you can get an inter- interlinear. A, yeah, an interlinear, but that's more of a tool. That's not the kind of thing you necessarily use so, so for your personal study. I think we need to define these, right? Okay. So sorry. an interlinear, what they do is they take the Greek or the Hebrew text, and it's basically a Greek or Hebrew Bible, but underneath every word is an English equivalent mm-hmm. to that word. Mm-hmm. But even in that, you'll have a Greek word with an English phrase. Yeah. Right? Because because this is just how language works. Mm-hmm. The mind constructs a thought that it needs to convey to another mind. And it's so abstract, mm-hmm. we use this bizarre system that God has granted us of manipulation of wavelengths mm-hmm. in the air to go, oh, now my mind is thinking what your mind was thinking, mm. right? Speech, language, at its root form is just wild. Yeah. Uh, and, and taking an abstract idea, putting it to sound... And then doing that again in another culture, it's not always an apples for apples thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe the word apple is the same in every culture. But you know what? In Spanish, there's only one word for gourd. Mm. And that doesn't matter if you want a squash or a pumpkin. It's all the same word. Huh. And so what do you do when you want to make a pumpkin pie? You go to the grocery store, you ask them, and they're like, oh yeah, over there. And you're like, no, no, it's... That's a zucchini. That's a butternut squash, <laughs> butternut right? Squash. Like, I don't want a butternut squash pie. I want a pumpkin pie. Right, right. But they don't have a word for it. Interesting. They don't delineate. At this point, the world is global enough that you could say pumpkin with a Spanish accent, and you probably have someone go, oh, yeah, 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 right? It's easy. Um, yeah, but, interesting. But those kinds of things, sometimes just the word doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be phrases and everything. It, yeah. That's yeah. just how language works. Yeah. So even the most rigid translations are going to need to shuffle word order around. Oh, They're yeah. going to need to arrange phrases differently. Mm-hmm. There's, there's you know, even the the tightest translation um, will need to do that. And even even the the Hebrew scholars who, who, um, who did the Septuagint right. way back in the day which you mentioned in a previous episode, like they had to do this just going from Hebrew to Greek. Right. Right. So the same is true in our, in our, you know, modern translations. And, and so, sorry. And one mind boggling thing, when you really get into studying the translation method is not only do various language have languages have various rules of grammar that need to be accounted for French, 
Spanish amongst our listeners will probably be the most known second language, mm-hmm. one they're most aware of. <clears throat> Where does the adjective go before or after the noun that it modifies, right. right? That shifts. And so translators have to make that shift or else it wouldn't be an English translation. It would be English words, but it wouldn't make sense. It'd be incoherent, right? Yeah. The beauty of it is word order doesn't matter in Greek at all. No. There are no rules. Yeah. You just, you, you figure out you figure out what you're going to say. Yeah. You throw those words out there and put a period on the end of it, and that's your sentence. And it's up to the interpreter <laughs> to figure out what order these words go in. Well, there, yeah, there are like markers on word endings that help you group certain words together. But it's so when you're working through that, do you ever just imagine what it would be like to be in the market square yeah, talking to someone? Because you'd be hanging on every word until they're done the sentence because you wouldn't or, know or what the they're paragraph. T- yeah, because where how do you know where the sentence ends <laughs> until a new one begins, right? I know it's wild. <laughs> so you just have to sit there and listen to everything and go, okay, hold on. This is this is literally a jigsaw puzzle. Hold on, let me reconstruct this. This is yeah. why people use the phrase it's Greek to me. I think though it's difficult. I think at the same time though like if you're if you grow up in that and you're tra- you're trained in that your your brain is going to Yeah. not right it's the like same same thing as like if as a westerner trying to to learn mandarin and there's all these like slight inflections in how you pronounce a particular syllable that have different meanings for us that's wild but mm-hmm. if you grew up as that from an in, from infancy it's not going to be so hard. Right. And so whenever I, you see these things all the time online where people are like, uh, I have so much respect for English language learners because the language makes no sense and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Mm. English is English is actually among the easiest languages to learn. The grammar rules are pretty static. Yeah. Pronunciations and everything are pretty static. Spelling is weird. Spelling is weird because we borrow from so many other mm-hmm. countries. Uh, but yeah, learning learning Greek back in the day would have been absolutely bizarre, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so that's a formal equivalence, the literal word-for-word type translation. And there are pros and cons to that. Yep. Right? Pros, you are actually reading the words or the closest equivalent we have to the words that are in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? So like you're getting as close to what was originally communicated word-for-word, Right. Right. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, you're getting that, you know, the, the nuance of like, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't replace phrases with English phrases that make sense to us. You, you have to learn expressions because they'll retain, right. They'll retain a Greek or Hebrew expression, but just translate the words into English. Right. So here's, here's my personal example of this. I'm in class. Uh, in Argentina, teaching uh, junior high, as junior highs do, someone in the class did something ridiculous, mm. and I was just like, "Holy cow! That what, what was that?" And everyone in the class just stopped and stared at me, and they're like, "Santa vaca, qué es eso?" Right? Like, what? Holy cow! Like what? <laughs> We know it is an expression right. that means nothing. Right. Right? It just means yeah. wow. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Why do we say it? I couldn't tell them. Yeah. But we do and we know what it means. Mm-hmm. A word for word translation is going to say, holy cow. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you the words. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you to know that he's not talking about an idol or the sanctity of bovine. <laughs> What he's, 
what he's doing is just using an expression. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. the dynamic equivalent, mm-hmm. the next one we'll talk about, mm-hmm. will give you the thought. Instead of saying, holy cow, it'll say, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that kind of leads into kind of maybe one of the potential drawbacks for the mm-hmm. formal equivalents, the word for word stuff is just that like it can be wooden or it can require some background information mm-hmm. sometimes. You gotta learn some things about the people, like the, you know, the the language and the culture from where this is coming. Right. It, here's the best example of that in mm. the most practical way that people will feel. Mm. When you read a formal equivalent, it will always say brothers. Right. When you read a dynamic equivalent, it will most generally, because most of them are all-encompassing. In English, we don't use the masculine as the universal statement. Right. Uh, but in Latin languages and in Greek and in Hebrew, that's the case, right? Uh, So in English, we'll say brothers because that's the word in the Bible. But what it means is brothers and sisters. Mostly, most of the time, yeah. Almost Mm -hmm. every time, Mm -hmm. right? With with few exceptions. Mm -hmm. And so when you see a dynamic equivalent and it says brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. it's not gone woke. No, 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 no. It's telling you this is what it means. Yeah, yeah. Right? So so that, let's get in. So that, yeah, the dynamic equivalence or functional equivalence or thought for thought is less concerned about the accuracy of translating individual words or phrases. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's focusing on getting the idea across in an understandable way. Right. Right? So it's like, how can we translate this in a way that's going to make the most sense so that somebody who has no biblical knowledge can just crack this thing open and read through it and understand what's going on. Yep. Right. Which is not a bad, uh, desire. It's not a wrong desire. No, it's, it's great. Yeah, it is. Um, there's pros and cons though. Right. 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 The, The pros are, yeah. So it's, it's very readable. Um, you know, it's good for people who maybe, you know, particularly those who might know English as a second language or don't have a very high reading level. Um, we don't have a very big vocabulary. You don't have like a lot of, you know, church background. So they don't know a lot of the things that are going on. Um, so those are, it, it can be really helpful in that way. And it can be very readable. It can flow mm-hmm. a little bit better than yeah. a literal translation. And in some ways it's the better translation. It depends because, well, because you are difference. Yeah. Right. It, but, but there are instances mm-hmm. where the idea being given to you mm-hmm. is Better than just the raw words. Sure. Because the structure of those words doesn't register in our culture and time. Right, right. In the yeah. same way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, and that's fair. I think the, the cons, the con, the big con, really, for that is that sometimes those translators who are doing this thought for thought thing go so far that you're actually, you're, you're departing from really a translation and getting really into more of a paraphrase territory. Right. And that's where we need to note here. All of these things are not binary. They're a sliding scale. Yeah, it's a spectrum. There's a gradient spectrum Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of how word for word and how thought for thought. Yeah. Because even your formal equivalencies Mm -hmm. are going to have some thoughts translated. Of course. Yeah. Right. They're, They're probably not going to write, holy cow. Right. Because it is so, it is so segmented. 
to such a short period of time and such a specific group of people mm-hmm. that it just doesn't make sense mm. mm-hmm. to the to the rest of the world mm-hmm. and never will again. And so in that, they go ahead and do the thought, right? right? They make these decisions as they go, mm-hmm. right? And, and just because your philosophy is thought for thought mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're not going to take Peter's name and be like, oh, we got to come up with another name for Peter because we don't want to get into word for word mm-hmm, stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these things are always, they're, they're always making these decisions on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. And generally what the various, the, the people who translate are called the oversight committees. Mm-hmm. What the various oversight committees do often is they, they go into the process looking at the gradient scale and saying, we want to land here. Mm. on the scale. That's our goal, and we have to keep that in mind throughout this entire process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's helpful. Well, why don't we why don't we take a little journey along that scale? Yeah, as I was going to say, let's let's give names to some of these so yeah. that people kind of know where their favorite versions fit. Let, let's start at kind of maybe the more the more word for word. Okay. The, the most yep. word for word, apart from these, like this interlinear thing, and or the, Young's, yeah, yeah. This we're talking about like translations you can crack open and, and read, right? Mm-hmm. The most literal word for word, at least the most uh, amongst those popular translations, is probably the NASB. Oh yeah, the New American Standard Bible. Um, I've got in my hand something that Hasid gave to me because he had an extra copy. I, you know, I was looking at that and I was thinking. Has said just borrowed my history of the King James version. I've I've got a book in the history okay. of King James version. He just read it. We should have had him here to on the, as a guest yeah, on the show. We should have. Yeah. So he he gave me this, which is the Legacy Standard Bible, which is kind of an update of mm-hmm. the NASB. Um, it's very readable. I think the what the NASB and the Legacy standard. If you if you look up kind of what they considered a reading level, they would call it like a grade ten reading level. So it's it's going to be not archaic language, but it's but academic mm-hmm. to a degree. It's going to be it's going to be a little wooden sometimes. It's not right. going to flow. It's not going to flow as well as some of the other translations we're going to talk about. But it's 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 particularly accurate in in the in the word for word one of the things i love most about this legacy standard bible which is a very new one is in the old testament um when it uses uh, where where most english translations would do capital l-o-r-d for the name of the lord Mm -hmm. it actually says yahweh with uh, vowels or no vowels with vowels okay um and i was chatting with my hebrew prof about that and he's like yeah there's vowels whatever he's like at least shout out to dr v shout out to dr v uh, he's the best. Um, but, but you know, he was kind of impressed by that. And I, I kind of like it too, because, because it's a personal name. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not Adonai, which is kind of a, the generic term for Lord. It, Yahweh is his, his personal name. And so I, that's one thing that I wish all modern translations would, would shift to. Yeah. And, and the reason it, the reason that they don't is because Bible translations really never have. Right, yeah. Even even in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. they don't translate the name of God. For different reasons than we don't. For different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so as Bible translation became a thing, that was just a tradition kept. Right, right. Yeah. Right? So it, it's not it's not a thing where like modern 
readers, modern translators have just decided to do away with the name of God. Yeah, it's, no, 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 no. It's just yeah. something that was held by the Hebrews mm-hmm. uh, and and carries on to today. Well, they didn't want to dirty God's name right. in a language other than Hebrew. That was right. really what it was, right? Whereas we don't necessarily have that same sentiment now, uh, or at least I don't have that same sentiment now. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's helpful because um, when... Yahweh is used in the text, it's it's often used significantly, right? So like you might have, you have Adonai Elohim, which is the word for God, and then you have Yahweh. And so when the Lord introduces him, introduces himself by his proper name, that is a significant thing to notice. And when it's just spelt with different capitalized letters, in our English translations, it's easy to miss that. And miss the significance of that. So that's why, uh, just a little, I mean, that's a, it's such a niche perspective. I just like it. I just think it's cool and I appreciate it. And maybe the next version of ESV will, will take note. Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nerding out over here on trying to find the oversight committee for this. One of the things that, one of the things that I kind of nerd out on is uh, specific passages and how those, passages are um or even words in passages mm-hmm. one of them is uh Gineakos in first timothy chapter three okay yeah i think should say women and not wives william mounts has a whole video on why i'm wrong um <laughs> he's so only listen, the most preeminent so Greek listen to william mounts world. but i just i just looked it up and the lsb shockingly says women yeah it does i'm just looking at it right now do we need to pause this and just nerd out for a second? <laughs> no, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We got to keep moving. No, that's good. So, so that's that. So the NASB, and I know there's a couple people in our church who use that. Mm-hmm. Um, the LSB, I know that Hesed is is you know checking that one out. And actually, I, I'm kind of using it um, a little. I'm not going to be preaching from it necessarily, but just kind of bringing it along with me to class and stuff, just to kind of explore it. Sure. You yeah. Know, as yeah, you do. I do that from time to time. Yeah. So the, the next kind of one over. Well. You can, they're kind of interchangeable, but you could, you could either put the ESV or the King James version. I don't know. How would you put it? Uh, let me see. Cause there's a couple yeah. different spectrums. They, they kind of put them in different. Yeah. Yes. ES, ESV. I would say more so. Yeah. Because of the quality of the texts that they use. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I would say the next in line is the ESV. So mm-hmm. not as wooden. Mm-hmm. Uh, more readable, but at times still using words that I'm just like, ah, guys, we could have done better than that. Mm. Right. There, there are times I, I know I'm an ESV guy mm-hmm. and the church wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so there are people who sort of wish that I wasn't. Right. I, I know that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, just so you know, there are times when I read the ESV and I think, eh, there's a better way to say that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we didn't have to use that word. I, I've often said, I think... I think on the oversight committee, there should have been a 14-year-old kid with his AirPods in, <laughs> chewing gum, playing on his phone, right? and just every once in a while, they'd be like, hey, 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 does it make sense when I say da-da-da-da? No? All right, back to what you're doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so the ESV, so where the NASB is kind of considered like a, a grade 10 reading level, the ESV is like a grade 8 reading level. So it is more readable. Right. It is more accessible. Um, it does 
it does do a little bit more thought for thought than the NASB does. But to be honest, if you compare them side by side, 95% of the time, the Mm -hmm. ESV and the NASB are going to be identical, which is significant because both these independent committees are looking at the original texts and the variety of words that could potentially be used and the variety of meanings that could potentially be applied. And they're coming to the same place almost all the time. And that is, I think, a good thing because these two separate bodies are saying, this is what it says. Yeah. Also, it's not a free-for-all. They are still bound by international copyright law. Right. Because these are published works. Right. And so a translation can only hold 20% of a previously published translation. Right, but that... You- so so as far as like keeping things word for word... Uh, they're going to be they're going to be slight changes in some instances for legal reasons. Yeah, I think um, that twenty percent rule though you have to you have to quantify that because people are going to think that literally eighty percent of this is different than eighty percent of an ESV, which no, is not the case. No, and so and so some of the some of the little shifts are like that, but they also have to choose where to spend that equity mm-hmm. because you're not gonna you're not gonna retranslate John three sixteen. You know where they you know where they they made up that ground here with Yahweh. <laughs> Right, <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of instances yeah so yeah. yeah the esv so i was introduced to the esv i think someone bought me a study bible shortly after i think when i was working up up north um at muskoka bible center it was my first i think my first real study bible i might have had like a teen bible or something that somebody got me when i was younger but i was introduced to it and uh and I, it's kind of it's kind of just been my favorite mm-hmm. since. Same, yeah. It just yeah. for me, it you know it, it has a has the least amount of problems. I guess right. it's not that it's it's not that it's perfect, and it's not that the other translations are terrible. It's just it's I think it's the best. But right. we, yeah. So if you're if you're someone who is at Memorial and you're like, ah, Sunday morning is now in ESV mm-hmm. and. I wish it wasn't. Here, here's my journey as to why. Okay, cool. I, I in the same way, um, I always I, I grew up through childhood with the King James. Mm. Um, then in my teenage years and maybe the first eight years of ministry, uh, I used the NIV. Okay. Yep. Uh, 2008 NIV. Um, in 2011, the NIV made some changes, uh, started just kind of looking around a little bit, found the ESV. It was being used a lot. Ended up switching. That's what I preached from in Toronto. Uh, and then when I when I was coming here, I, w- I was really wrestling with the idea of do I stay with the ESV or do I switch to the NIV? Mm. We'll talk about the NIV later. It's a dynamic equivalent. Mm-hmm. At at this point, that's probably enough to make sense of the story. And I read a little book by Kevin DeYoung, KDY, who uh, the title of the book is Why Our Church Uses the ESV. Mm. And his point was to say, when you teach from the NIV, there will be times when you have to say the word being represented here in the Greek is this. This is what the word most generally means. 
right? And I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I grew up with that statement everywhere. Like every mm-hmm. sermon had that at least once, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear it as much anymore in the people that I listen to. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that they've gone to a formal equivalent and so the word means what the word on the page means, mm-hmm. right? You're not you're not really opening eyes to that. His argument was that instills confidence in your congregation that the Bible that's in their hands is the Bible that was written two thousand years ago. The the texts that were written two thousand years ago and have been disseminated, and it is accurate. Mm. Right, whereas pastors who use very dynamic versions mm-hmm. and then need to rein in the text, whether they know it or not, to some degree are telling their congregation that book in your hand is good, but let me tell you what the Bible says. Right, and I thought that was convincing. Yeah. So if you don't like the ESV, you can call KDY. Yeah, I- Reform Baptist Seminary. <laughs> In Charlotte, North is that Carolina. where he is? Yeah, okay. He pastors as well, but you okay. can find him. I don't know the name of his church. I just I didn't realize he was Baptist. I thought he was. Oh, sorry, no, no, not the Reform, the Reform Theological Seminary. RTS. RTS. He's RTS. Presbyterian. Okay, right. yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> no worries. Um. So, yeah. So, yeah. For me, I think the just kind of piggybacking on that, the one thing that I I actually like about the ESV, even though because sometimes it does retain these like expressions or terms that need some background information, those are opportunities to teach. Yeah. Right? So if it if it references something that people don't necessarily understand, but that's what the Bible says, then it gives you an opportunity to teach them what the Bible says. Yeah. Rather than the NIV editors being like, well, we're just going to go with this. Right? right? Now, that being said... There are changes I would make. First Timothy 3, sure. I would see Ganeikos as women. Right. I think it's safe. It does... It's not making the interpretation for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just so you know, women and wife are the exact same word. Yeah. Indistinguishable. Man and husband are the same. Right. So I think it should just say that. Yeah. And sure. let the reader interpret. Uh, also, I wish someone, I, I like that they've, let me see that legacy Bible. I got to check up John 14 now. Okay. I wish Paraclete would just come to us in the Greek and we would stop translating it and As just start explaining it. But it's more than helper. I know it is. And that's why I think it shouldn't... The translating it doesn't give you the breadth of the word. Mm. And, and I think it would just be awesome if the church learned paraclete. As a word. As a word. And uh, worked at it from there. Parakletos, if you want to be, be specific for how it's used in that particular <laughs> passage. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So love it. Don't think it's the be all end all. No, in no. Fact, in fact, a few years back, they decided to disband the committee to be like the ESV's done, okay. and we're just not going to keep revisiting it. Mm-hmm. I thought sh- I thought that was a terrible move. I'm sure they'll, yeah. But the way these things work, Tim, they don't they don't just disappear; they come back. They they very quickly, yeah, change that. What do you got? I, I'm just I'm just I oh, you're just reading it there. Okay, should have grabbed it from me earlier. Okay, so the next on the spectrum is probably the King James. Ooh, it says advocate. Advocate. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, good word. Okay, that's actually a, maybe better than helper. Actually. Yep. yep. Um, but anyways, um, yeah. So then we have the King James again. We've already talked about how the King James came together. 
and the philosophy behind it. It stayed not quite as word for word as an ESV or an NASB, but still on that end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. right? With the caveats that you mentioned, it it flowing, it's sounding beautiful, um, and whatnot. How do you feel about the new King James? Um, so I I have I remember when I was um, a relatively new believer, I grabbed like a generic new King James with like no notes in it or whatever off of a shelf. Mm-hmm. And that was my just Bible, my companion Bible for, for the longest time. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time in it and it's probably my most highlighted Bible. Whew, excuse me. Pardon me. Um, yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I grew very, accustomed to it um mm-hmm. i know one of the main and, and again like i that was kind of before i i decided to move to the the esv it would just it had a, a more colorful language than the niv that i was brought up on and i liked that mm-hmm. um so but you know since then you know i've heard quotes like you know the new king james is the worst of both worlds because yeah, gordon fee coined that yeah right yeah. so Gordon Fee is the author of How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, mm-hmm. which is assigned in every Bible college and seminary. Mm-hmm. So everyone's read it. He says it's it use it's the it's the product, the unfortunate product of the worst uh, manuscripts, mm-hmm. but without the most beautiful language. Right. Right. Yeah. So his thing is like, if you want to use. Something from Byzantine manuscripts. Right. Just do the King James because it's beautiful. <laughs> like taking taking the beauty out of the King James. Yeah, yeah. But still using the Byzantine manuscripts, it, it just seems like hurting for nothing. Mm-hmm. One that I would throw in between King James and ESV. Okay. Just as a historic thing, the RSV. Okay. If yeah. you're using the Revised Standard Version, mm-hmm. the Revised Standard Version isn't being published right now. There's no oversight committee it's like a hundred keeping years old, up right? with it it's not it's not a new one uh, 1952 was the oh, last okay. one okay. so that is just now the esv mm. the esv has kind of just Come become that, that new thing okay yeah interesting nice okay so then as we kind of move then along the spectrum kind of into the more of the you know functional equivalents or the you know um the excuse me the dynamic equivalents we get to there's a new one called the CSB mm-hmm. Christian Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time in it personally. Oh, yeah, I have. You have, bit, yeah. And what are your thoughts? And, and kind of the way that you did the LSB, right? Mm-hmm. So when it first came out, it was the HCSB, right? The Holman Holman Christian Standard. Yeah, that's Bible. Their, yeah the Holman. And so Holman Broadman Holmes is the publishing house for the Southern Baptist Convention. And the problem with it being the HCSB was that everyone just called it the Baptist Bible. Okay. <laughs> right? Uh, and so they were like, we got we to gotta do something. Let's just throw, take our publisher's name off of it and call it the Christian Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? This, the ESV is published by Crossway. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not the Crossway English Standard Version. It makes sense. Uh, but... Y- but you don't need to see it as the Baptist Bible, right? When I first heard of it, and it's like the Baptist Bible, I was like, hey, this is for me, right? <laughs> um, but on the oversight committee are like, I, I think the number of Lutherans is the same as the number of Southern Baptists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. Uh, there's also a couple of Anglicans, a few non-denoms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the CSB is basically spearheaded by Thomas Schreiner. Okay. Uh, he's the the main guy for that. Uh, in the same way that um, Wayne Grudem is uh, sort of the organizer of the committee, the head of the committee for the ESV. Mm-hmm. Um, so Schreiner is is a great theologian, mm-hmm. professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. um, and the it's good, it's good and balanced. I just don't feel the flow of it in the same way. Mm-hmm. For me, when I was when I was reading it, the the couple of things that stopped me from going there are, are I wasn't feeling the flow uh, in the same way as the ESV, and two, it's less popular. And so, I know as a senior pastor, a lot of people go and buy a Bible based on what I'm preaching from. Right. Um, the odds that I walk into the room with an ESV. And someone in the pew is already using an ESV and doesn't now need to go buy one. Mm-hmm. Are pretty good. I didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> if I walked in with a CSB, yeah, everybody's got to go buy a new Bible. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, it, I, I think that I, here's the the really good thing that that just hit me that I think came from that. Mm. That's how insignificant the differences can be. Right, because you could look at it and you could say that's a terrible reason not to choose a, a translation that you think is good, mm-hmm. but they're all good. Yeah, right. Like on this list the, of the versions we're going to talk about today, there's no wrong answers. Mm. You know, I might have one, but that's we're not there yet. We're going to go too far to get to that. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, we might have to. We have to debate. I, I'm going to draw the line. Okay, I, I, you don't know where you're going to draw the line yet. Okay, so. And we're not going to draw the line with the NIV because the NIV is good. That's yeah. the next one. Yeah. That's the next one along along the spectrum. So the NIV is again just a little bit more thought for thought. Um, it's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It just that's what that's what the Bible was in mm-hmm. for me growing up in the the nineties and early two thousands. Um, again, yeah, thought for thought translation, um, but not not to an extreme. So you're you're not getting into it being a a, a paraphrase per se, um, you know it's it's still a translation. It's a it's a it's a obviously a very popular translation. It's the best selling translation in the United States. Um, I, I just got I got data for for the U.S. Anyways, it's the it's the number one ESV yeah. second in best selling translations. It's Zondervan, which is the largest publishing house. Right. That's part of the reason. Right. But the head of the translation committee is Moo. Hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Douglas Moo. Mm-hmm. For a biblical theologian, you don't. It doesn't get much better than that. Mm-hmm. No, no, right? no, no. no. Uh, and on the uh, the 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 editor of the Greek is Bill Mounts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There, you don't even everyone listening. You don't know anyone who knows Koine Greek that didn't learn it from William Mounts. Yeah, unless they're like eighty years old. Yeah. And even that, when they brush up, <laughs> it's they mounts. use Bill Mounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he's just the guy. Yeah, he you worked. Were, yeah, he you, worked for a while for a little bit on on the ESV. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you and I learned Greek thousands of miles apart, like in different countries, far, far away from each other, and we use the exact same textbook to learn Greek. 
<laughs> because he's the best. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. So the NIV is a, is a trustworthy uh, translation. I don't prefer to preach from it for the same reason you mentioned. Just there are times where you kind of have to qualify. Okay, they they go this way because it's most readable and understandable, and that's a that's a valid and and good decision in its own right. But when you know you're preaching through the text, and and I, I really like to preach word for word through it. Um, it there's just too many speed bumps mm-hmm. going through an NIV as opposed to an ESV. Yeah, my. My my style is to say the making it understandable and readable is my job. Yeah. The translator's job is to give me the words mm-hmm. and then and then helping that land with the people is the work that I do. Mm-hmm. When a when a Bible is being used in a sermon. Right. Right? right. Um and yeah. yeah. And, and 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 where it gets awkward is when they go too far with that. I don't believe the NIV goes too far that often. No. Uh, but when they do, then the roles get flipped, and sometimes you have to come back and say, that's an interpretation of this word. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we just did that with parakletos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then again, those are just fewer instances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's just there's just le- like like I said, less speed bumps mm-hmm. when, especially when you're you know, if you're comparing your text, like you're reading your text in the original language, which my profs have you know encouraged me to do. It's tough because my my Hebrew's not great yet. Um, but even then, like when you're kind of working through it and you're like, oh, and they went here, okay. Oh, and they went here, okay. It's just t- you know, it's tough. It, it's tough. But yeah, one of my my Hebrew professor said. One of the most exciting things uh, that you can ever do in learning the original languages is uh, realize how good of a job your English translators did. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because no, for sure. You, you learn it, you spend all this time learning it, you start making your own translations, mm-hmm. you open up various Bibles, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's what they already did. They got it, yeah. They got <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so the next one along, along the line... Um, would be the New Living Translation. Yeah, see, that's where I draw the line. That it's not a translation? It's a, so, you want to talk about versions versus translations? Well, I think that's... Okay, so here's, here's the thing. So, <laughs> generally, generally, if it says version, <laughs> then it's a translation. And if it says translation, then it's a version. Absolutely. As a general rule of thumb, that's not yep. exhaustively true, but that's just for, for the big ones. The New International Version, the English Standard Version, even the King James Version are translations. The New Living Translation is really a version. Mm-hmm. The Passion Translation is... <laughs> well, we, we, we don't know. It's so, not even. So I'll, not. I'll I'll just throw out a couple right now. Okay. The passion. Yeah. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. The the it's being translated by a single guy. Yeah. Which is always not a bad that he's, sign. Not that he's not married, but no, he's doing it himself. One, yeah. All these other translations are done by large committees, large, dozens of people, large committees from various countries, mm-hmm. oftentimes, and denominational backgrounds from various denominational backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So that there are checks and balances. Yeah, for sure. Right? How do we make sure that the CSB doesn't just become the Baptist Bible? Mm-hmm. We put enough Anglicans and Lutherans on it <laughs> to balance it out. Right. And be right. able to go, hey, no, 
Right. Right? Like exactly. you're you're trying to read too much of your doctrine and your interpretations into the translation. Yeah. Leave the translation alone. Let mm-hmm. your people have that discussion later. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is being done by one guy. The guy doesn't know Greek. Yeah. He has not studied Koine. Mm-hmm. I have more Greek than the guy who wrote the Passion Translation. Right. He is literally taking English translations, making up some version of a paraphrase of it, pretending as if he's doing this from the original languages, but you you can you can just search a person's mm-hmm. educational history. Yeah. He's never been to a school to study this. Mm-hmm. You don't learn these things on YouTube, no. right? Uh, and it is profoundly bent to charismaticism mm-hmm. in such a way as to just the goal is that it would become their Bible, yeah. right? Like Bethel, the church in California, mm-hmm. pushing the thing for a long time, mm-hmm. and that sort of a deal. It It's a scam. It's not a Bible, it's a scam, mm-hmm. right? It's a scam posing as a Bible. Stay away from it. Mm-hmm. The other one that I would, would point out, it's, it's far more fringe than that, is uh, I, I was using it in here the other day, um, not because I use it, it was, it's on my heresy shelf. Mm. Uh, but there's a Jewish study Bible, Oh, that yeah. is uh, that is out there. Again, the guy knows Hebrew, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know Greek. He, it, in the beginning of your Bible, in every Bible, there's a preface. You've probably never read the preface of your Bible. The preface of your Bible explains all the stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Why this translation? What caused them to say, let's, let's strike out and do a new one? What is the philosophy of translation mm-hmm. for this particular book? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that preface, he admits to not knowing Greek. Yeah. Wow. But he's got friends that do, and he works <laughs> with them. But his whole point mm-hmm. is to, he's a Judaizer from Galatia, yeah, he right? Is. His whole point is to ungentile the gospel, mm-hmm. even to the point that he won't even call Peter, Peter. He calls him by the Hebrew variant hmm. of Peter, right? Which is odd because Peter is really not even a translation. It's a transliteration. Right. It's the same in Greek, right? <laughs> right. Uh, right. And, yeah. and so, yeah, those those are... Do those worry are, with those. They're, yeah. yeah, unless you've got a heresy shelf Anybody, like I do. Yeah, any, any one, one man uh, translation committee is just something worth avoiding. Even yeah. like... And I... So like even like the the message the message at least presents itself as a paraphrase so that's why I can I can like tolerate it that mm-hmm. at least it says it's a paraphrase and it could be that you know maybe you like to crack it open and read it a little bit but don't use it for serious Bible study yeah it's nobody not a, worth their salt would ever preach from it it's not a Bible no it, and he wouldn't tell you that it is a Bible right yeah Eugene Peterson has, has more to it than that but but yeah. but unfortunately people use it that way and he himself is a pretty orthodox yeah believer. Mm-hmm. Um, his point was to make the teachings of the Bible accessible, right? He doesn't even do like the the chapter and verse in the same way because he doesn't want that confusion. He just mm-hmm. does whole sections at a time. Yeah. So he doesn't want you to think mm-hmm. this is John 3.16. Right, right, right. There is no John 3.16 in the message. Yeah. There's just John chapter 3 and then a bunch of stuff that right. he's talking about, right? Yeah. Um, Yet, it kind of came across as like the uncle still trying to be cool with the teenagers. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know people who use it as their Bible. 
and and that shouldn't be the case. It's yeah, not a Bible. Don't use that. Yeah. yeah. But I think Eugene Peterson would yeah. tell you it's not a Bible. Yeah. So going back to the then the the New Living Translation, that's one that's kind of like it's like one foot in, one foot out of like legitimate, but not. Oh. Um, it's it's really tough. Like I got one example here from Matthew seven. So Matthew seven twenty one, a, a literal, like one of the more literal translations would say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Verse 21 in the New Living says, not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my father in heaven. So they're like, they're checking certain boxes, but like not all people who sound religious are really godly. That's just an entire sentence mm-hmm. with zero connection. It's just it's 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 literally like paraphrasing the verse and then inserting that into the verse as part of the verse. Right. And it's not there. And so like it's just the new the new living translation is not it <laughs> It's it's not a serious translation and and it's been promoted like it is and it's not it's not as much of a paraphrase as the message and it's not as wacky or you know it doesn't have the same kind of you know underhanded methods as the passion like there was still a committee that put it together um, but like don't don't read the New Living Translation <laughs> I don't know I can't uh, like don't use it as a serious Bible like I just. I, I've been diving into this because, well, I, I don't want to get yeah, too into so, it. Yeah, so so this, uh, for me, the the example would be Proverbs twenty five twenty two. Okay. Uh, ESV says, "For you will heap burning coals on his head." Okay. That is uh, most likely a, a reference like "Holy cow." Mm-hmm. It's an expression. It's an expression. It's lost. It's mm-hmm. entirely lost. No one knows what it, what it means, mm-hmm. right? Pinning it down, trying to find it in other writings of the same time period from, you know, wherever in Canaan they can find it. And it's gone. It's lost. Even the, NI, even the NIV, because the meaning is lost, says, you will heap burning coals on his head, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because we don't know what a dynamic equivalent is, so we're just going to have to give you the words. NLT, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Where did shame come from? Well, they think that this burning coals is a shameful thing. Sometimes burning coals are a purifying thing, Mm. right? And so the argument is, is Proverbs 25 teaching us that when we do good to those who have wronged us, are we purifying them Mm -hmm. or are we causing them harm and shame? Right. We don't know what exactly is being said there because that saying has been lost. Right. The NLT has just decided it makes sense to me that what you're doing is bringing them to shame. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to tell you the Bible says. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have the right to make that decision, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It, yeah. A pastor mm-hmm. might choose to say, this is what that means, mm-hmm. because he read it in a commentary as an option, mm-hmm. right? But if you're presenting the Bible as a translation... This is what the Word of God says. You can't read Hebrew. You don't have access to the Masoretic text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to bridge that gap for you. Yeah. You've not bridged the gap. How about um, judge not that you be not judged um, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. New living. Stop judging others and you will not be judged. Okay. Not the end of the world. For others will treat you as you treat them. That's not That's not for with the judgment you give, you'll be judged. Mm-mm. Right? And so... Like this, like again, like I know there's probably somebody listening who loves the NLT, and I I had a nice little I had this little NLT I still have it with like a metal case mm-hmm. that was that my grandma gave me years ago, and you know I haven't thrown it in the in the trash, but it's just it's just not a serious translation. You need to know that because it says translation on it, and mm-hmm. it, it's just it's more of a paraphrase really than than anything. Yeah, so. they they take a lot of liberties. So they do. So at the end of the day, here's where I land. Mm -hmm. I preach from the ESV exclusively. Mm -hmm. I do 80 to 90% of my personal Bible study in ESV Mm -hmm. because I want to be as comfortable as possible with a single translation Mm -hmm. so that it sits in my mind better. Mm -hmm. When I preach and I quote a passage... You can tell at what point in my journey I learned that passage, <laughs> because if it's in the King James, I learned it in Sunday school. Right. If it's in the NIV, I learned it in as a teenager in an early ministry. If it's in ESV, it came in seminary and right. after, right? <laughs> nice. uh, so that's why I, I try to stick to one. Mm-hmm. If I go to Bible study and everyone's using the ESV because... That's what I use on a Sunday morning, and that's just what they've become accustomed to. I show up with an NIV. Why not? Just so that when they're reading and I'm reading and it's different, I can be like, hey, guys, guess what? The NIV says it this way. Mm-hmm. The The thing with... I, I used to do that with the NLT as well. Mm-hmm. It was part of just like the trio yep. on my desk to work through them. Mm-hmm. The problem that I ran into is when I would, when I would just read with the NLT, because at one point I thought... You know what, just as a, a, a devotional reader, right. because it's so readable. It is very readable. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this as a readable thing. Mm-hmm. Um but then I, I, I found myself constantly reading and then grabbing my interlinear and mm-hmm. being like, what is the Greek here? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I was just always doubting it. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and like we've pointed out, sometimes for good reason. Yeah. And so I've gotten to the point where I've just shelved it. Mm-hmm. Right, so I use NIV and ESV every, maybe not every day, mm-hmm. but every week for sure. Mm-hmm. I use both of them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't use the NASB as much anymore because the ESV isn't that different. They're so close. Yeah, they're so close. Uh, I, I, I've not been in a place where I've been playing with lots of different translations. I've mm-hmm. kind of just gotten a rut of the two. Mm-hmm. If somebody came into the church, someone as a member of the church. And they had an NLT. I'm not going to say anything. No. I'm not going to pull you aside. I'm not going to be like da, da, da. church discipline. No, nothing if, like that. If we were talking, mm-hmm. if we were just chatting after service, and I looked down and saw that you you had come to church with your passion translation, I would. Oh yeah. I'd be like, hey, let's take a second, mm-hmm. right? Um, so even though we're we're hating on the NLT a little bit, we are. We're not throwing it away. It's not garbage. No, it's, it's not, it's not, it's just, things are not all, like, not all things are equal, right? And with, with such a wealth of viable options, 
mm-hmm. it's not the best one. Right. It's really not. I have a pastor friend who's converted his church to NLT. Mm-hmm. His point was to say it's the most readable, and we want new Christians to come in and feel like they can follow along when I'm reading during a sermon. Mm-hmm. I love this guy. He doesn't read that much Bible in his sermons. Mm-hmm. He's not up there reading full chapters at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a topical preacher mm-hmm. as a rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, so usually just two or three, four verses here and there. The issue of readability as the better public option is that it presumes your congregation, your attendees, to be illiterate, right? It presumes a lesser reading level. They may have a lesser theological level mm-hmm. than those who have attended church, but they might also be a lawyer right. visiting your church. <laughs> right. There's a difference between non-regenerate and illiterate. Mm-hmm. Right, we don't mm-hmm. always dumb down the version just so people can understand what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like that's a poor argument. Mm-hmm. There might be circumstances where someone is in an area that is highly uneducated. Sure, and representation from the group could be reasonably illiterate. Mm-hmm. That you might make a decision like that. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think like people did meaningful gospel outreach ministry to communities that were un- undereducated and highly illiterate with the King James for hundreds of years, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying therefore the King- we should just stick with the King James, but I'm just saying like I think I think when there's when there's a gap, it's an opportunity to help people bridge that gap, yeah, and be like, hey, this is worded kind of funny, so let's let's dig into like. Why is it phrased this way, and what does it mean? Yeah, right. It's they're just teaching opportunities, and we don't need to we don't need to constantly be dumbing things down for our people. Yeah, I want to give you two resources mm. for this. Um, just some nerdy things to play with. Uh, I have Bible software. You and I use the same one, Logos. Mm-hmm. Worth a couple thousand dollars. It's expensive, but I use these two resources. As much as I use Logos. Okay, cool. The first one, Bible Hub. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Biblehub.com. Perfectly free. Yeah. It's free. You type... In fact, if you just type it in, type in a Bible verse into Google, mm-hmm. if you've done that, it's probably taking you to Bible Hub. Yeah, it's pro- definitely one of the first three links there. Right. If you type in a single verse, the what it'll do is it'll give you that verse in 30 different English translations. Mm-hmm. You want to join us? You want to join us in the rabbit hole? You want to come over to... <laughs> I almost at the dark side. I don't know if it's dark, but you want to come over and see where these things uh, stand? Right. Type in some... If you if you type in your favorite things, you're mm-hmm. going to be disappointed. Most... Yeah. The, the, the John 3.16 is going to read essentially the same in it, all of them. It would be a marketing nightmare <laughs> to change John 3.16, John 1.1. Right. Genesis one one right like you, yeah. those are untouchable. Right, they say right. what they say. It was decided right. centuries ago. They always will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, William Mounts actually does a video on how there's a better way to say John three sixteen. Oh, there definitely is. But you're never going to sell that Bible. You can't. Though. Like yeah. people will burn your publishing house <laughs> before they would buy your Bible. Uh, and so, so Bible Hub is a great way to just mm. type in the passage that you're reading mm-hmm. 
and just see all of the different ways that it's handled by 30 different English translations, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about some really fringe stuff here. Real Once obscure. Once you get down there, yeah. yeah. really obscure stuff. Yeah. Uh, the other one is blueletterbible.org. Okay, yeah, that's a good one too. Blueletterbible.org. Uh, it not only does it allow you to do the same thing where you can search out the passage you're working on, mm. uh, but you can click on it and you can get it in the Greek as well mm-hmm. in an interlinear form. Uh, not just with the Greek characters, but also transliterated. That means the sounds of the Greek characters, but with English letters, so you can kind of sound it out. Right, yeah. More or less. It, you'll be better at it than you even realize you are when you're reading the transliterations. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's not a hard thing to do. Um, and and if you hover over it, you can click on it, on, on the Greek words, and it'll tell you how that Greek word is used throughout Scripture, what different kinds of ways that word can be translated. Some really great stuff there. So you can you can take things like, it, it basically works off of the NASB and the King James. Um, There's a at, drop-down at, menu where you can pick. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you can, you can then see how the Greek has come into English, mm. what the different options were available to the translators, mm. and, uh, and kind of for yourself follow along with, well, I can see why they would have chosen that word then, because these are the options, and when I when I read it in the context, that's the option that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun. I mean, I do it for a living. <laughs> no, I, I wish I spent more time doing that kind of stuff. Honestly, I yeah. So I mean, I've been for, right now being in seminary. Like I, I'm like kind of constantly doing that to yep. some degree which yep. is with like um well with hebrews in speci- in particular right now but it's just fun to kind of like you get the bare the bare original text and you work through that and you see okay like how did the, how does esv take it how did the king james take it how mm-hmm. does the niv go with it and just kind of seeing you know where decisions were made and but again within that that group you know, with along that spectrum from NASB, ESV, all the way through to CSB, NIV, and everything in between, those are good Bibles. You can trust those Bibles. Mm-hmm. They're faithful translations. And if they say something slightly different, it's because translation is difficult, and there's there's a, a different philosophy behind the translation efforts, but they're good, they're trustworthy, they have a number of world-class scholars behind them, and... Uh, so we would encourage you to read your Bible more, regardless of whether it's an ESV or an NIV. Yeah, yeah. And if, you, if you've if you used the same translation, you know, try mixing it up. Yeah, that's always good, too. Yeah, you could you could cut what you're, the amount that you're reading in half and read it in the same in each translation, mm. equal it out, get yeah. a, a little broader picture there. Mm-hmm. Keeping a... In fact, do they make... Hold on. Sometimes you can get parallel Bibles that has... Uh, I, this is bad radio. I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, man. I've seen parallels that have the original text and then a translation. I've got an yeah. English and French parallel, which is fun. No, you can get you can get parallels mm-hmm. that are two different translations just to see how they line up. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering if there was any way that Zondervan and Crossway... Would that'd be tricky, dude? Would come together because of publishing rules. You can get an NIV King James. You can get an NIV King James NLT message. Wow. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's a bit much. So, (laughs) so the takeaway is this: go to blueletter, uh, go to blueletterbible.org, 
play around with some original language stuff, go mm-hmm. to biblehub.com, look at all the different translations, uh, have faith in the translation you have, and unless you're using the NLT and Marshall just scared you. Um, <laughs> and, and, and let's be praying for Crossway and Zondervan that we could get an ESV, NIV parallel. Mm. Because that, ha- that has Yahweh it. instead of Lord. I'd, bu- I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah, I probably would too. Actually, it'd be helpful, which saved me time in my sermon prep because I always yeah. read both for my sermon prep. Yeah, yeah. And study Bibles. You know what? I'm, we need to be wrapping up. This we is do. long. This is so long. I'm, I'm, one one <sighs> I'm more tag. hungry and tired. One more tag. Okay. One more tag. Study Bibles, the same, the same concept applies where you have different schools of thought. Mm-hmm. And all of the scholarship that goes into the translation goes into the study Bible. Using study Bibles from different groups is going to give you different information mm-hmm. based on what different people thought was pertinent. It's true. Not different facts, mm. but different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So the ESV study Bible, big, thick, honking thing, right? The general editor of the ESV study Bible, J.I. Packer. Mm. Every footnote in your ESV study Bible has the stamp of J.I. Packer on it, right? You, <laughs> Pretty much. You can't beat that. The yeah. NIV study Bible, Donald Carson, <laughs> Yeah. right? It's another good one. Uh, so maybe you can't beat Packer, but if you want to tie him, go with Carson, right? Like this, <laughs> All good stuff. Yep. Use them all. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now I'm, I'm out of tangents. Let's go. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, is produced by Alex Walker. Talk to you later. See you.